0: Where this morning, we'll be looking at verses 50 to 58. And as you're turning there, um, yeah, not only are we taking a break from Mark, but actually on the on the plane ride back, as I was starting to feel myself, okay, we're getting closer to home, and I have needed to get some things kind of out of my head um, regarding church and sermon prep and knowing a number of things that were coming on. My initial plan, my initial plan, can I just say my initial plan, was to uh, talk about something from Acts 20 that was going to be able to help us in regards to getting ready for tonight. And Bill already mentioned it. I'll just uh, piggyback on exactly what he's saying. This is a really critical meeting for tonight, crucial meeting for us tonight, because it's a way for us to be able to move forward and leaning into who we already are. But also making sure that we are being intentional about what we're doing and moving forward for the cause of Christ. And so, if you can come five o'clock, I was I was made aware that the Broncos kick off at six twenty-five, and we're going to do what we can to make sure that you don't miss one second of Russell Wilson's handiwork. So we're going to make sure that that uh, that that happens, and I'll uh, see at least your game is well, my game is getting ready to happen, and uh, oh. I'm kind of glad I'm here. But we, we, we press on. Um, but it was very clear um, in all seriousness that when we were having conversations with so many people because um, uh, Malcolm Parks's wife passed and Malcolm, we are praying for you, brother. We are praying for you. And uh, 57 years of marriage and then Ted Sassum passed away and then his daughter, Rachel, passed away. Um, and you may have seen it on a news and she passed away in, in a, um, in a horrendous fashion. And so there was really no way to get around it. At least I couldn't get my mind off of this. And I'm not sure how you are, but I need to hear from God. And when I, when I would need to hear from God, this is how I need to hear from God. I don't need to get alone by myself and try to figure out on my own what God's, what's God trying to say. I need to go to his word because it's there in black and white and a little bit of red that this is how he is. he's given us his word so that we can move forward with some perspective. Not a perspective that's coming up from men, but perspectives that God has given to us to be able to, uh, to move forward. So the title of the sermon is actually, um, Death, Where Is Your Sting? And as I get ready to read this, you're going to find out where that comes from. But I'll say this, as I ask that question, if you're not familiar with the thrust of the direction of the Bible, here's the answer to this is, Death, Where Is, my, where is Thy Sting? Um, it's in my mind. It's in my heart. It's right on my front doorstep. Yeah, the sting of death is right here. What a stupid question. But in reality, what we're going to see is the ultimate effect of death for the believer, but also what the ultimate effect of death will be for the unbeliever. And God has been very clear about what these are. Jesus has come to take away the sting of death. He did it by dying. There is a book that was written a number of centuries ago by John Owen, The Death of Death in the Death of Christ. Think about that title. The Puritans got the titles really good. Sometimes the titles were as big as, as, and as long as the books are today. But the death of death and the death of Christ. Christ came to take away the sting of death. We will not be able to afford, uh, avoid it. Because whether you're Christian or not, we go to funerals of both Christians and un, unbelievers. We, we go to those things. So there is another piece of death that we're talking about that is critical, just as critical, just as crucial, and that is a spiritual death that we all go through because it is, it, it, you have to understand that who you are will live forever. Your bodies are temporary. They are important, but they're temporary. It's your soul, your spirit that is going to live forever somewhere. My dad actually, he, he calls me. Dad is very helpful for me because dad, he's 88 years old. He'll be 89 in January. And he don't mind telling you that. I'm, I'm 88. Made it. You know? And so he, so when I call him and every time there's changes that are kind of made at his church, I get his perspective as a senior adult about how it affects him. And he, so he helps me. I help walk him through it. But he helps me also to realize as a pastor that sometimes when we make changes, it affects folks and we got to make sure that we're walking through it well but he was listening to a very popular preacher and something hit for him because he kept saying that when you trust in jesus you're going to live forever but he's he's like but Matt, doesn't the bible say that we're going to keep going on regardless of whether we live believe in jesus or not and the bible does say yes we will continue to exist It's just whether we are going to exist in life, perpetual life with Christ or in perpetual death away from him in a place called hell. We look at this passage of scripture and we are reminded and and as we look at really three questions. One, how did death get such a sting? How did it get to be a part of who we are? How did it get to be a part of this world that none of us are going to be able to avoid unless Jesus comes back? secondly how did death lose its sting you know if death has a sting but how did it lose its ultimate sting and then what do we do with that information what do we do that's next so here's the the first thing i wanted well let's read the passage together let's stand together in first corinthians 15 beginning in verse 50 and going to the end of the chapter in verse 58 i hope you'll follow along whatever version you have uh, not most of them are pretty close together, regardless which ones. I'm reading from the ESV, in case you're wondering. It says this, "'I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable and shall be changed.'" The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let the words of our mouths and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, you may be seated. So how did death get such a sting? For the majority of the created time and created order, death has been a part of who we are. It's been a part. We've been surrounded by it. We have experienced it. Some of you, you know people or you may yourself be looking at it right face to face. And when we look at this, we know that it came in not because it was originally part of how things were. Originally, things were where death was not a part of it, that Adam and Eve had been a recipient of eternal life, but they were given one thing to do, or not to do, I should say. They were called to keep the ground and to to work it in Genesis 2.15, but later on they were told that there is a tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You may not eat of it. If you eat of it, you will die. That's Genesis two. Genesis 3, though, there was someone else that had a different message. The deceiver comes along in the form of a snake, and he comes along and he said, did God really say? So whenever I say that question, and I've been here almost 11 years, you probably will be able to mouth exactly what I'm getting ready to say after this. That is the foundation of all sin, is questioning God's word. That's why I have to go to his word because I feel like if I try to go somewhere else to try to find an understanding of something that is really nailing me and, 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 and hindering me and, and harming me and I try to go somewhere else to get some understanding, then there's no guarantee that they're going to lead me down the right path. I have to go to his word and I have to give you his word. Otherwise, there, I wouldn't be much of an under-shepherd to you. But what, his, what, what Genesis 3 was saying was that did God really say And he said, well, it's okay for you to eat of it and touch it. God's keeping something good from you. And when Eve said that she looked and she saw that it was a delight to the eyes, she took it and she ate of it and she gave it to Adam. He took of it and he ate of it. And then suddenly it says their eyes were opened. And they saw their nakedness, and they went and hid. God began to walk in the cool of the garden. He comes along, and he's saying, Adam, where are you? Skeptics will come along, and they will say, well, if God's God, then he wouldn't have asked that question. Because if God's God, he would have known where Adam was. It wasn't the fact that God didn't know where Adam was. He wanted to have Adam express if he knew where Adam was, where Ad, if Adam knew where Adam was because he was hiding from God they were having full fellowship and now they were hiding and so God covered them there was a shedding of the blood of the animals that covered their sin that covered their nakedness and now from then on until Christ comes back and establishes his kingdom and death is done for we will be surrounded by this we will read about it in the news we will watch it on the news We may use it as a form of entertainment when we're watching movies. And what has happened to us, I think, when we watch these movies and these pieces of entertainment is that death has lost its sting for us because it's just a part of the entertainment. When in reality, it is a life being taken, whether it's portrayed as an entertainment value or whether it's something that is seen on the news, a life has been taken. We come along and realize that the curse of sin means that all of our physical life will be limited. None of us on, in, on earth will live forever. Even as we celebrate people that live to be 90, 95, 100, 105. I think there was someone that died recently that was 121. We look at it and we think 121 number of things come to our mind. One, that's a long time. And two, oh my word, could you imagine to be living to 121 years old? But even then, in light of eternity, how long is 121 years? Quicker than that. So we have a limited life, but also the death, the curse of sin that led to death here on earth also means that we are now separated from fellowship with God. Now, when we are born, we want to run away from God, not toward him. Christ has to come by his death, burial, and resurrection and change our hearts to make us run to him. I mean, some of us are running so far away from him that we think we're actually okay outside of Christ. I'm fine. I'm happy with my life. We're running away from him thinking we're fine. And in reality, the deceiver has just like Adam and Eve deceived us if that's where we are. And so when we look at this and we see here that the sting of death is sin. Sin means disobeying what God has called us to do. And the power of sin is the law. What the law does is show God's commands and his direction and his precepts. We think of them as the Ten Commandments. The first six are talking about how you have a fellow, or first four rather, are talking about how you have a fellowship with God. That's called the first table. The second table of the commandments are how we deal with each other, which is why when Jesus came, he distilled all of that down into two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On all of these hang all of, on these hang all of the law and the prophets. So it's distilled. Jesus puts the groceries on the bottom shelf. Love God with everything that you have. Now, here's the, here's the thing about sin, and here's the thing about the power of the law, which, again, I'll remind you of what R.C. Sproul said. None of us can keep either one of those for more than five seconds. You can't love the Lord your God with all of your heart any amount of time. And think about even the expectations of your life. Every so often I try to read productivity books because now, since I'm now the only pastor that's here, I've really got to be sure I'm managing my time well. I can't just float. I have to manage the, you know, the hours and sometimes the half hours and the minutes very, very closely. And the thing is, is that every day I start off thinking I know how the day's going to go. And every day I start off thinking, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to end the day feeling like that, boy, those expectations were made until what happens? 8.30, 9 o'clock, something happens, either from my own neglect, or something else happens, and then it messes up the whole plan, and I have a choice of either getting upset or recognizing that, well, maybe God is bringing about his plan in my life, and I just need to chill. We have to make sure we can't even fulfill our own expectations. Much, How much more can we not fulfill God's? And so we, when we realize this, Romans 3.20 says that, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified. In other words, your ability to try to keep the commandments, you can't do it. You can't do it. And you can't put your own stuff on other people expecting them to do it. You're not God. You're not junior Holy Spirit. And so we have to recognize where we're coming from that sometimes when we we can't fulfill God's laws and yet we're expecting people to fulfill ours. Come on. For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The law tells us where we have strayed, where we have blown it. All have sinned. How many? I'll do it again. All have sinned. How many? Don't you love when people do that? You know, right? I want to hear you. But I want to make sure that you're getting that. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages, the paycheck of our sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, some of you who are skeptical, you're going to come along and say, now, wait a minute. Jesus died. Does that mean that he was a sinner? I see crosses all over this place. I see crosses all over, you know, around your neck. Some of you may have crosses as a lapel pin. This, this little lapel pin says, preach Christ and him crucified. So the, the whole crux of our message, in fact, the word crux comes from the word Crucified. The whole basis of our message is about a death, dealing with our death, dealing with the world's death, but also dealing with Christ's death. And some of you may say, well, does that mean that Jesus sinned? And some people are coming to that conclusion. More and more evangelicals now are saying that they believe that Jesus actually sinned. Let me tell you this. If Jesus sinned, he needed a savior. He would be disqualified from being a savior. But why did Jesus die? Well, that leads us to our second question. How did death lose its sting? In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In him... Or for our sake, rather, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So what Paul is saying here is that in order for us to be righteous, in order for us to be right with God, Christ had to come and take our sin on himself. So when he's dying on the cross, it says that he became sin, not that he became a sinner, but that he was taking the curse of sin that came into the world due to our first parents. He was taking it upon himself, and therefore, when we trust in the saving and substitutionary work of Christ, he makes us righteous. There is no other way. There is no other way that we can be made right with God there is no other way yeah but what no but, but don't you say no well how about stop it stop trying to find another way because there is no other way Christ Took our sin, gave us his righteousness. Therefore, when we sit in that second pass in that same passage in 2 Corinthians 5, where it says that all of us are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. How will we be able to stand? We'll stand because he stood for us. We live because he died for us. Every so often we look up and and when we're driving down the down the road, and we see all of these different denominations of churches, right? Uh, I think I saw one, two-seed-in-the-spirit, double-predestinarian Baptist church. And I'm like, wow, first of all, my tongue got sprained trying to, trying to say that. I, didn't, I, I haven't looked it up, but, but there are, there is a book that came out, and there's more and more denominations that are coming out, but it's, it's over 10,000 different denominations, Now you add on that different world outside of the religious community, the different worldviews, the different mindsets, the different realities, the different philosophies that are there. We have four major world religions and there's denominations that kick off of that and cults that kick off even that. So we have a lot of of swirling around trying to figure out which one's the right one, which one's the right one. Well, let me, as Jesus took all of those commands and drove drove them down to two, I want to tell you, that you can take all of those denominations and drill them down to two. If you go back to 1 Corinthians 15, it says in verse 20, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, so by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. 22, For as in Adam all die so also in Christ shall all be made to live. Jump down to verse 45, if you will, same chapter. It says, thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust and as the man of heaven is, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we also bear the image of the man of heaven. Paul, what are you trying to say to us? Two camps. You are regardless of your denomination. Cuz some people get so get so locked in on I'm a Baptist. I'm a Presbyterian. I'm Episcopalian. They get so caught up on that. You can get so caught up on your denomination that you can be deceived in thinking that you're devoted to the one who brings salvation. In other words, you, you can be so identified with some something like this that you can still be in the camp of Adam. You can still be of the dust, of earth, of death. Not part of the one who is of life-giving spirit. Not the one who is spiritual. Not the one who is of heaven. There's two camps. You are either in Adam and in Adam all what? Verse 22 of 1 Corinthians 15. In Adam all die. So also in Christ shall all be made alive. Christ is the second Adam that did what the first Adam blew. First Adam blew it. But there is one who came that fixed exactly in everything that Adam messed up on our behalf. We didn't deserve it. And yet here he comes by his grace, which is what grace is. God's riches at Christ's expense. So we come and we are reminded of so many passages of scripture. Let me read you one more in Romans 5 verses 18 to 24. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. So one act of righteousness leads to justification for all men. That one sin that Adam did in the world brought death and condemnation for all of us. And then there's one, the second Adam who came and his one act of righteousness on the cross in the empty tomb. That's all one act. That that act brought righteousness for those who would believe. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners... And so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. The law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased. How big is your sin? Enormous, insurmountable. How big is God's grace? It says the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased. Grace increased all the more. And so that as grace reigned in death. Sin reigned in death. Grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you see what Jesus has done for you? It is important to recognize the consequences because who is this being written to? If you go back to verse 50 that I read, felt like back in the mists of time, but in verse 50 it says, Now I tell you this, what's that word? Brothers. Brothers. Brothers and sisters, that was an all-inclusive word back then, meaning those who are part of the family of God, those who have been rescued by Christ and brought into his kingdom and brought into his family. He's talking to Christians. And he goes on to say flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, which is why when Jesus came up to Nicodemus in in John chapter 3, you must be born again. You must be born of the Spirit, Paul says. You must be born from above. They all mean the same thing. It's not just enough for you to be born. All of you here, I'm not the most scientific guy in the world, but I know all of you here have been born once at least. You're here. And maybe most of you, hopefully most of you have been born again. Hopefully all of you have been born again. But it is not just enough for us to be born. That's universalism. We need to be born again. There has to be a change in us. Not just mouthing a bunch of words and then going on our merry way as if our life is continuing on. There has to be a change that is going on. And only Christ, only Christ can rescue you. Because Christ came as fully God because he is the law giver. And only God can keep his law. Because only God is holy and perfect yet we aren't. We are not holy. We mess up all the time in our thinking, in our speech, and our actions. We mess up all the time. And we're not perfect. We're not holy. But Christ came as a man to stand in our place because we couldn't do it. It's a big fancy term called substitutionary atonement. He is paying for our sin, atonement, by standing in our place. I fear some of you may feel like that you're good enough, and I said this before, that God didn't have to really work that hard on you to save you. We are all sinners. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God, but have been justified. If we are Christians, we have been justified, and that penalty of sin has been taken away from us. Some of you may remember a, a singer by the name of Luke Garrett. Luke Garrett. Um, he actually died of a heart attack back in 2016. He was only 57 years old. And um, on a CD that I just, you know, you go through things, and I'm, oh, man. You f- it's like revisiting an old friend. And he wrote a, there was a, a CD that he put out back in 1997. And there was one song on there, it's called A Wondrous Exchange. If you have Spotify, you can find it very, very easily. Luke Garrett, A Wondrous Exchange. Beautiful tenor voice. He said, this is the song. This is the lyrics of the song. The victim on a cross of execution. The Lamb of God that sacrificed his life. And the sky grew dark and the rain poured down. The price of my redemption was so high. For on that hill was done the great transaction. As God paid out the ransom for my sin, I can walk away. I am truly free from the prison and the hell my life has been. A wondrous exchange, a wondrous exchange, an offer so great I could scarcely believe. His crown for my shame, his loss for my gain, his death for my life. What a wondrous exchange. I stand before the mighty king of glory, a servant who is guiltless in his sight. Though I am to blame, I have been redeemed from the sin for which my Lord was crucified. A wondrous exchange, a wondrous exchange, an offer so great I can scarcely believe. His crown for my shame. His loss for my gain, his death for my life. What a wondrous exchange. I mean, I've been listening to that ever since I was in seminary. And that that song has never ceased to just give me goosebumps and me try to sing like a tenor along with this guy. It is, this is the gospel. And it's no wonder that more books have been written about Jesus than any other subject. More paintings, more artwork, more music, more everything has been done about the person of Jesus because there is none like him. And when Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God, comes to earth for those 33 years, three years of ministry, and for us, we talk about injustice. There was no greater injustice in the world. Than the innocent son of God dying on the cross, at least from a human perspective. But that's what had to happen. That death had to happen in order to give us life and to pay for our sin. So what do we do now? What do we do with this information? Because I remind you of a time where I went to visit someone in my last church. He didn't go to church. He didn't have any interest of in going to church. He would come every so often with his wife and there was a special occasion. And I asked him the whole thing. Do you believe that Jesus was born of a virgin? Yes. Do you believe that he lived a perfect life? Yes. Do you believe that he died on the cross? Yes. Do you believe that he rose from the dead? Absolutely. Do you believe that he is now with the Father and coming back? Yes. Have you trusted in him as Lord and Savior? No. Why? Because he it was it was too much of a cost. And there was an issue with his marriage because... His wife had trusted Christ, but no longer was her husband number one in her life. Christ was. So, if there was a choice between obeying Christ and obeying her husband, that was the vibe back then obeying Christ or obeying the husband. It would be Christ every, every day of the week and many times on Sunday. So, there is a, there's a change that happens, and sometimes there's relationships, and sometimes the cost for you is too much. But when you see the worth of Christ, it's not too much. Count the cost, right? Don't start building something like that king that was starting to build something. And he ran out of money and then he moved. Count the cost. But I pray and you will see that even with all the things that you may lose in this life, anyone that will save his life must lose it in order to follow Christ. So what do we do? Well, we look at this passage here. It says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory, verse 57 of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, first be thankful. You mean be thankful even in this season of life? Yes. Be thankful even though this loss has happened? I say yes. Be thankful even with the physical issues that are going on and my kids that may be straying and the the stuff that's happening in the world. You're telling me to be thankful? Yes, because this is not all there is. There is hope beyond this life. It, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. And I love that about Jesus. Jesus wasn't giving us the soft sell. Well, whenever you come to us, everything is gonna come to me, everything's gonna be smooth. TV preachers may say that. That's not what he said. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, "Your life is going to be tough. You're going to be in a world of brokenness. this Babylon system, Revelation 17 that talks about you're going to be here. this world is going to be filled with death and, and hurt and pain and suffering and hospitals and doctors and bad news and you're, you're going to be filled and surrounded by it. But we can be thankful because this is just temporary. Your light and momentary afflictions are setting up for you a weight of glory beyond all comparison that we look not to the things that are seen. Now, look, he's not saying, you know, just be oblivious. No, look at what's being seen. But your ultimate gaze has to be on Christ. Because the reason that sin and death is in the world is our fault. We have decided, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Well, no wonder we got 7 billion people on the planet trying to do their own thing and coming up with their own solutions. No wonder it's a mess. We need to turn our eyes to King Jesus. And if we turn our eyes to King Jesus, we see the thankfulness that he came to fix what we broke. Grateful for that. Grateful for that. And I hope you are too. We should be marked by thankfulness. Not by greed, not by gossip, not by being grumpy, but by being thankful. Turn your eyes upon Christ. Then he goes into verse 58. Verse 58. And when I went to see Katie Vogel in the, in the hospital, because she's, she's having a rough go as, as well with some things, and I asked if there was a passage of Scripture you'd like for me to read, and she started quoting this one. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. What does that mean? Faithful. You stay faithful. Yeah, but you don't know what's going on in my life. I don't, and you don't know what's going on in mine. We, are all, we all are tempted to get away from that faithful path. We are all tempted to to do that because sometimes the faithful path is harder and the unfaithful path is way easier. And sometimes we have so much hard in our life, I'm like, oh, I'll just go this way this time. Don't do it. Knowing what Christ has done for you, he will give you the strength to stay faithful. Hang in there. Hang on to Christ. And remember, it's not how hard you hold on to him. It's how he's holding on to you. Immovable. Well, that's only by the grace of God as well. But don't move off of the path that he has for you. Then it says, abounding in the work of the Lord. You know, when we're busy for the work of the Lord, then some of those other things that may happen, that may tempt us while we're idle, won't happen if we're busy doing what God's called us to do. We may not be called to ministry per se, like maybe I have been or other people that are on the mission field, but you've been called to salvation. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have been called to salvation. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, he's calling you. And some of you are working really hard to not respond to that call. I I hope you'll just surrender and submit. But we look at this and we realize that he has called us to do something. He's gifted us to do something. But in the hereafter, we realize that Jesus is gonna take us to where he is. That one day we're going to heaven. There's a, a little... Another little article that I was going to actually put out next month, um, trying to just help you to have something to take with you, but um, I'd like to pass it out to you tonight. It's called Our Resurrection, Hope, and Joy, because, because of the resurrection, Christ has defeated death, and therefore the sting of death has gone for us. And we can even, in the, in the grip of that, find some sort of hope, knowing that he has us. But if you aren't a follower of Jesus, I want you to realize the consequences, you may think, well, I'm going to go to heaven anyway because God's a, God's a good God and he's a nice guy. You're confusing him with Santa Claus. He's not Santa Claus. Because if you are spending all of your time wanting to be away from him in this life, you are setting a trajectory by your own choice into this next life. You're not going to be with him there either. You have made that choice. You have made that call to reject Christ even after hearing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of calls to receive Him. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's a promise that you can take. It's better than a bank. I almost said to the bank, it's better than the bank. So, the sting of death... Yes. In part it is here. It is significant. It is crushing. It is getting our heads around this. Even deaths in my family that happened 20 years ago, I still cannot get my head around it and I still think of that that my nephew of mine is that I can't look at a picture of him without this. And I read the Bible a lot. I preach the Bible a lot. And sometimes I still don't get it. That's why I need his word. Because he's t- he tells me what I need to know. Even in the midst of my emotions wanting to go everywhere. He centers me. He, he's my north star. He's my anchor. He's my rock. He's given me his word. And that's where I'll run. You have a choice of where you're going to run. I am telling you the only place to run is the only one who can give you comfort and give you perspective in this matter. The only one who has defeated sin and death and hell and the grave. And his name is Jesus Christ. And you may to, may need to commit to him this morning. You may never have before. Or you may have, and you have found yourself drifting until you've heard the word this morning, not because of any skill or whatever I may have, but just because God's good and His Word and His Spirit is is showing you some things in your heart, and you're like, "Well, I've, I've drifted. I didn't realize how far I've drifted." Oh Lord, bring me back, bring me back. This place over here. Oh, this place over. Oh no, I miss you. Bring me back, and He will. You have options this morning. You can come and talk to me. I will pray for you. It is a great privilege for me to be used of God to pray with you and for you. You may need to just talk to God. These steps are open. And I know some of you are hurting and hurting badly, whether it's of the three I've mentioned earlier, or maybe you've got some things going on in your life. Come before God. Or you may have a friend that's sitting beside you and you're like, I don't have the strength or the energy right now to go do that. Will you pray with me? Do it. Do it. But the, don't leave here without knowing that you are right with God because he sent his son for you to take your sin so that you might be right with God. Some of you, you may need to start the process or end the process of the case maybe of joining this church. After after I finish praying. After after I finish praying and introducing the song, I'll be right down front. You can come and talk to me. And if there ends up being a queue or a line, then we'll have some deacons come up and we'll be able to help talk to you as well. We don't want you to leave without having some sense of peace that only Christ can give. Heavenly Father, guide us in, in the day in, in the things that you've called us to do in the days that are ahead. Lord, we pray for those who are struggling with illness, who have family members that are struggling with illness, for those who have experienced the sting and the pain of an earthly death. But we thank you, Lord, that the sting of the eternal death has been taken by Christ. May we not leave here, Lord, without knowing that we are right with you, that our sin has been taken by you, and that your righteousness has been given to us. Your word is clear. Your word is powerful. Your word is sharper than any double-edged sword. And 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 Lord, it may be cutting us right now. I pray, Father, you would just give us the strength to get rid of those white knuckles that are grabbing onto that pew and let go and respond to Christ, the only way, the only truth, the only life. Thank you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen we get ready to sing this wonderful song that um, many of you may know.